Welcome to Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. It is so good to be with you today, and I'm excited to dive into why I believe in the Bible. But before we do that, we just want to take a moment and pause and realize these have been a couple really heavy weeks in our country. We just want to say that we are grieving with the communities of Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York, and we want to take a moment to just pray for them. So would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, We hurt, we're hurting and broken because sometimes in this world it just seems that evil is winning. We pray for comfort and peace. We pray for those who have loved ones and communities who've recently been shaken. Uh, come Come around those who are grieving, surround them with your love, Lord. Help us to be your church, help us to be a light to this hurting world. Thank you, Jesus, that even though there is a hardship in this world, we can take heart because you have overcome the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, what happens in your home when you bring home a new piece of furniture? Maybe a table, a chair, a desk. I don't know about you, maybe you know, you're one of those people who sit back and you watch the delivery people bring it in and assemble it and do the whole works. Or maybe you're more like my husband and you're like, no way, I've got this, I can do it. So you haul this giant heavy box that should be labeled much assembly required into the house and you take out that instruction book and you get to work. Do you realize that in doing so, you're putting your faith in those instructions? The mere act of taking them out and turning to step one, you are saying, I believe these instructions are true. I believe if I follow them to the T, I will end up with the finished product I desire, not some epic fail like this. It's so easy for us to trust that instruction books are true. Why do we struggle to trust the Bible is true? Or at least everything in it. Many of us might approach the Bible like a buffet. It's a good book with some wise principles, so I'll take this and this, but maybe I'll leave that stuff over there. But does it really work like that? The Bible makes some very strong and bold claims, and if some of it's true, shouldn't we find out if all of it's true? And if it is, shouldn't we be very careful to know what it says and to live by it? I made some muffins the other day. I decided I'd follow some of the recipe, But when it called for sugar, I thought, I'll sub salt instead. You know, sugar, salt, they look about the same. Who would want one of these muffins? No one, right? Choosing to follow some but not all of a recipe can be quite risky, and so it is with God's word. If the Bible is true, it must have ultimate authority. We must believe every bit of it and not just pick and choose. One of my favorite Bible scholars, Christy McClellan, says, the Bible is not only the best story ever told, it's also the truest. And in the Bible, in Psalm 119, 160, the psalmist says, all your words are true. 
So let's dive into that today. How do we know the Bible is the truest story ever told? After all, there are seas parting, donkeys talking, and lame men walking. How do we know we can trust the Bible? And as we jump into that today, we're gonna look at it from three angles. Why do I believe the Bible in my head, in my heart, and in my actions? So first, let's start with your head. Let's see the proof. This needs to take, make logical sense. So we're gonna start with the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament is true because of archeology. span Many historical cities, buildings, and locations mentioned in the Bible still haven't been found, but archeologists are consistently finding things that do validate scripture. For example, an inscription of the name Goliath from the time and location of the Bible character. People can walk through Hezekiah's tunnel today, and there are still remains of the great city of Jericho. Over the past 2,000 years, there have been countless opportunities to disprove the thousands of geographical and historical references in the Bible, but not one has ever been disproven, even though not all of them have been proven yet. Archaeology is still trying to catch up to God. Prophecy, I believe in the Old Testament because of prophecy. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Daniel, yes, they all prophesied about the Messiah who was to come, but do you realize they also prophesied battles that would happen and people, what country would win, kingdoms that would rise and that would fall, and they were always right. I believe in the Old Testament because of the precision of the scribes. No people group has ever copied manuscripts with as much care and scrutiny for accuracy as the scribes did with the Old Testament. They would copy just one letter at a time. They weren't even allowed to copy word for word. And when they were done with an entire book, if more than three mistakes were found, they would discard the whole manuscript. Even after all this, still more people would go back and proofread the final transcript. This meticulous process was proven effective with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. A copy of Isaiah was found that was a thousand years removed, yet it was completely accurate to the newer copies. A thousand years of copying without error. I believe in the Old Testament because of Jesus. God in flesh believed the Old Testament was true. He believed in the full authority of scripture. All parts, every word was important to Jesus. In Matthew 5, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until Everything is accomplished. The Old Testament points to Jesus, and Jesus points to the Old Testament. You can't have one without the other, which adds to the validity of Scripture. Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. And what exactly is he fulfilling? According to scholars, Jesus fulfills about 300 messianic prophecies from Scripture. Peter Stoner, chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena College, was passionate about biblical prophecy. With 600 students, Stoner looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. They came up with extremely conservative probabilities for each one being fulfilled, and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight. 
The conclusion to his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 10 to the 17th power. That's one in this giant number, chance that anyone would satisfy just eight of the messianic prophecies, and Jesus fulfills 300. Let's try to visualize this. Suppose we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them over the face of Texas. It would cover the entire state two feet deep. Now we mark one coin and we spread them all around. I take one of you brave volunteers, I blindfold you, I set you in the middle of Texas and I say, you can walk anywhere you want, as far to the far corners of Texas, but you grab one coin. What are the odds that you would grab that one right coin? That's the same chance the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote using their own wisdom. And that's just eight prophecies. Jesus himself proves the validity and divine inspiration of the Old Testament. Human wisdom alone could not have written these books. How about the New Testament? There are many reasons people give not to trust the New Testament, so let's look at a few of them. Objection number one, they say there are contradictions in the Bible. Because the gospel accounts do vary slightly, people will often say they contradict each other. But think of it this way, preachers often teach similar sermons multiple times in various circumstances. So the gospel authors could just be recounting different times Jesus told a lesson and thus their accounts very slightly. Homicide detective J. Warner Wallace is an expert on eyewitness testimony. He says that in a crime where there are multiple eyewitnesses, their stories actually should vary slightly based on their perspective. Some might find this detail important, others might find that one important. He says their stories are actually more reliable if the details aren't all the same. Because if they lined up 100%, he would assume they had gotten together and collaborated and decided together on what story they were going to tell. The Gospels never actually contradict each other. They sometimes just include more, less, or different details, actually adding to their validity. Objection number two. Some say the New Testament wasn't written soon enough after the life of Christ to be reliable. For any historical book to be considered accurate, scholars look at how long after the events that took place it is written. The New Testament actually has one of the shortest turnaround periods, 15 to 20 years after the death of Christ for Paul's letters, and 30 to 50 years for the Gospels. This is in comparison to 400 to 1,500 years for secular books that are widely regarded as factual and accurate. The New Testament has more copies and earlier copies than any other work of ancient classical literature. If the New Testament authors were making up stories about these miracles and events, they'd have had to wait until all the eyewitnesses were dead. But they didn't, and this short turnaround period actually enhances the validity of the Gospels. We mentioned this verse on Easter about Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 6, Paul says, after that he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Do you catch that? Paul is claiming 500 witnesses to the resurrected Christ, most of whom are still alive when he writes this. 
If his claims were false, these eyewitnesses would speak out and Paul's claims would quickly be shot down as invalid. Objection number three. Some will argue we can't trust the New Testament today because it was changed over time as it was copied. We addressed earlier the great care the scribes used when they copied scripture. Also with thousands of manuscripts, though there are some minor differences, the differences are all known. And even secular scholars will admit that none of them change the meaning of the text as a whole. None of them change the message. Objection number four. Because some people disagree with what they think the Bible teaches on a topic, they throw out the whole thing. Throughout the Old and New Testament, many things in the Bible are explained to have happened, but that doesn't mean that the Bible or God is affirming them. Yes, in the Bible we read of terrible things like polygamy and slavery, but just because something happened and is recorded in Scripture, it doesn't mean that God approved. If we throw away the Bible based on an assumption that we think it's pro-slavery, we'd be rejecting it based on our own misconception. Now that we've refuted some reasons not to believe the New Testament, here are a few more reasons why I do believe the New Testament. The New Testament clearly names people, cities, and very public events that were a big deal in history. These are some of the reasons the New Testament gains scholarly legitimacy over the less historically accurate texts of Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism. The Bible's use of personal names was spot on with scholarly research about the usage of names in that time and place. The New Testament also gains credibility through counterproductive content. If people were making up this religion or these teachings and events, would the Bible show that Jesus is nervous and scared in the garden, that he's calling out that God has forsaken him on the cross, or that he teaches whoever eats of his body and drinks of his blood will live forever? Or would the authors of these books allow themselves to look so stupid? Peter and the disciples look terrible in many of these stories. They never seem to get it. They fall asleep when Jesus asks them to pray. They're scolded by Jesus. They run away as cowards when he's arrested. One even runs away naked. Check out Mark if you didn't know that. Ultimately, these slow-to-get-it disciples all end up dying because they believe so strongly in their faith and the gospel message. If they were making it up, would they be willing to die for it? This weekend, we're celebrating Memorial Day. We honor and remember those who've died for our country. And why were they willing to put their lives on the line? Because they believe so strongly in America and the freedom and the beliefs that our nation represents. Likewise, these disciples believed so strongly in the teachings of Jesus, they were willing to die for what they believed. So do you agree in your head with the psalmist who said, all your words are true? What about your heart? You can believe in your head the Bible is true, but have you allowed it to speak to your heart? Have you experienced it touching you, shaping you? The Bible is not just some static text, same old, same old. Have you ever noticed you can read the same passage in scripture a hundred times and still get something new out of it? Why is that? Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
God's word is alive and active. No other written piece in the world has the power of this book. The Greek word for alive here, zao, truly means living, but it also has this definition. Having vital power in itself and exerting that same power upon the soul. Think about that for a moment. God's word has vital power that it exerts on your soul. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's look at this passage a little bit at a time. All scripture, the whole Bible, is God-breathed. It's written by God and people. God spoke through the Holy Spirit to 40 different authors over a span of more than a 1,000 years to write this one big, congruent, powerful, accurate, true, life-changing book. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It has value to teach us how to live. Have you noticed, despite what some may say, the Bible has not become outdated. It is entirely relevant today. And finally, so that we can be thoroughly equipped. The Bible isn't just a bunch of do's and don'ts, and if you feel this way, I am so sorry. You've been missing out. The Bible's meant to equip you to be God's instrument of blessing to this world, a light to people in darkness, a hope to a world in need. Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. God's word is eternal. Other books come and go, but God's word will stand forever. Will it stand on a pedestal in your heart? We should treasure this book. I remember the year that I fell in love with God's word. I was studying biblical literature at Indiana Wesleyan University and taking some Bible classes from amazing professors who taught me how to find things in scripture I had never seen before. God's word was alive, it was speaking, and I had a hunger to learn like never before. This hunger carried into the summer where I went to work at a Christian camp teaching first through fourth graders about God. You can imagine what a challenge I had for me at Bible time when I'm trying to make the Bible come alive for these kids, make it fun and exciting when there's all the other camp activities around that they wanna get to. So I spent hours praying, Lord, help me to bring your word to life for these kids. And he did, he eventually made that happen, but it happened as I continued to fall more and more in love with his word. He led me to Psalm 119, if you're not familiar with it, it is the longest chapter of the Bible. All 176 verses of it praise God's word. This became my chapter for the summer. I lived here, I meditated here, I breathed here, and I want you to go there with me now. I'm pulling out some excerpts. We're not gonna read all 176 verses. But just as we read, allow yourself to truly take in how good God's word is. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love that I may meditate on your decrees. 
Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm to the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day and all things serve you. For if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. How I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path so I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. All your words are true. If after reading this, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not sure I love God's word like that. First, you're probably not alone. But second, I challenge you, maybe you haven't given it enough of a try. Maybe you're not allowing it to cut through you like that double-edged sword to refine you and change you, to breathe vital life into you. Jesus himself said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Treat God's word as your daily bread this week. Read it, meditate on it, crave it, enjoy it. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you as you read it. Since God's word is true, we need to learn what it says and love meditating on it. Do you believe in your heart God's word is true because it has spoken to you personally? And if not yet, that's my prayer for you this week, that you would experience that. As we learn and love God's word, our next step is to live it. Our actions must reflect that we believe the Bible is true. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Our foundation is not built on scripture when we merely read it, but when we live it. That is the way to be wise and build a life that lasts. James 1, through 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. How many of you looked in the mirror at some point this morning while you were getting ready? Okay, I'm sure more than the hands that I'm seeing. Um, Otherwise, you wouldn't look quite so put together. But how many of you have already forgotten what you look like? Of course not. That would be foolish, right? Right? 
But James says it's just that foolish to hear or study God's word and do nothing with it. We must live it out in our lives. Yet how many of you walk out of here after a sermon on Sunday morning and by lunchtime or the drive home, you've forgotten what was taught? Don't worry, you don't have to raise hands on that one. Okay. We are far too human, too short of memory, too easily distracted. That's why our adult discipleship team puts together sermon discussion guides. You can find them in your digital bulletin or on our website when you go and find the past sermons. So on your drive home at lunch or sometime this week, you can look through those questions and ponder them on your own with your family or with your life group. There's also a challenge included each week for extended reading and growth so you can explore deeper. Check that out. Don't walk away from Sunday mornings forgetting the message like one who walks away from a mirror and forgets what they look like. Also, get familiar with our website. There are so many great tools and resources on there for putting your faith into practice. Find ways to serve, grow, and walk your faith out in community with one another. James goes on to say, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. James 2, 14 and 17. So how do we allow the Bible to transform our actions? One of my favorite ways is by asking the three W's when we read scripture. First, what does it say? This is purely a summary, don't go any further than that yet, just what did it say? Next, what does it teach me about God? Pause before you try to jump ahead or before you try to make everything about you and look to him. We read the Bible to know him better. So what does this teach me about him? And then the final question is, what does it teach me about how I should live? Once we've learned about God's character, that then directs us in how we should live because our ultimate goal is being transformed into Christ-likeness, right? We want to become like him. Let's look back at Psalm 119, 160 one more time. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. I believe in my mind, my heart, and my actions that God's word is true and that it is eternal. The word of the Lord will stand forever because it is true. It will be relevant forever because it's eternal. It will have transformative power always because it's the very word of God. It is not only the greatest story ever told, it is also the truest. A belief that the Bible is true will lead us to learn it, love it, and live it. I'm praying you leave here today with a greater desire to enter into the riches of God's word this week. And since we were just talking about doing it, putting our faith into practice, I'm gonna give you an action step. This fall, our men's and women's ministries will be going through how to read your Bible. It's a great chance to get to know scripture, to understand the bigger picture of his word and how to study when you're reading on your own. So watch for signups for that come the end of summer. There are also other great groups and classes you can get involved in. So again, get familiar with our website, the groups portion, but just have that in your mind for this fall. Let's commit to knowing God's word and growing in God's word together. Let's pray. God, all your words are true. We believe in the Bible. Let it shape us, let it guide us, let it divide joints and marrow. 
Lord, cut through to us, breathe that vital power of life into us through your word. And as we love your word, let us live your word. Help us to live it out, to be transformed by what we read. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.